Good morning, beloved. Great to see you here at 9 a.m. Um, if you would, I'm open to Hebrews 11. We'll get to there in a few minutes. Uh, but we want to begin a, a study and exp- exposition on the Apostles' Creed today for the next 10, maybe 12 weeks, I suppose, maybe longer. Um, this morning, I want to give uh, uh, just an introductory message, some thoughts, um, some observations uh, before we, we delve into it. Paul wrote to Timothy saying that I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Uh, many scholars believe that 1 Timothy 3.16 uh, preserves an early Christian creed uh, that later was used as an outline for the more expansive uh, Apostles' Creed which declares, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Um, There is no creed that has been confessed by more believers in more places, in more languages, as as a summary of the faith uh, than the Apostles' Creed. That is to articulate what the apostles taught. And although it takes less than a minute to recite, it has eternity in it. A summary of eternity wrapped up in those words. Centuries of Christians um, witness uh, a statement of belief to this creed. And it's called the Apostles' Creed, not because the apostles wrote it. It was produced, it wasn't produced by them, but it, it declares once again, it is a, in, summarized, in a summarized statement, what they uh, taught, what they declared by way of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And at the core of Christianity, that is true Christianity, not mere said faith Christianity, uh, is the concern for what would be inconsistent with the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Jude writes in Jude 1.3, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now, uh, living as we do in, in an age that is so incredibly disinclined to doctrine, just the word doctrine causes many professing believers to become nervous uneasy, and and even very defensive. 
Have you experienced this? Just the word doctrine. And that is due to the fact, no doubt, that we, we live in a pandemic of worldviews. There's naturalism that says there is no God. Humans are, are, are merely, you know, highly evolved animals. There's postmodern, postmodernism, which, which teaches that there is no objective truth. There is no standard of morality. And then, of course, there's pantheism that teaches that the universe or nature itself um, is divine, or at least identical with divinity. Uh, There's moralistic therapeutic deism that teaches, you know, God wants you to be happy, and he wants you to be nice. And then, of course, there's pluralism, and that is that, that all world religions are viewed as equally valid, and so long as one is sincere, all roads you know, lead to God in the end. So this kind of contagion in our day uh, is spreading at a rapid pace, unparalleled in history, um, living as we do in this technological age of information. Uh, we continually witness over and over again the gullibility of the masses, um, as, as ignorance and foolishness daily is instantly put on display by way of social media. You, you agree with that? Adopting and repeating as they do the latest foolhardy sound bites. And people just buy into whatever they hear so easily. You know, Neil Postman in 1985 uh, wrote... Uh, a book entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death. Have you read that book? Um, what it is, it's a critique of the television age, and, and, and I believe that, that Postman wrote rather prophetically, uh, not even having in mind what, what media would provide 25 years into the future. And he wrote this, and I quote, Television is altering the meaning of being informed by creating a species of information that might properly be called disinformation. Disinformation does not mean false information. It means misleading information. Misplaced, irrelevant, fragmented, or superficial information. Information that creates the illusion of knowing something, but which in fact leads one away from knowing. End quote. Now, that kind of misleading information has seeped into the church by seeping into the minds of those who profess to be Christian. They profess to be Christ. They claim Christ the Lord of the church. Now, in Christ's church, disinformation leads ever so deceitfully towards the slippery slope of heresy. The result of which is is that many who profess Christ will scowl any time they're challenged with doctrine. Now, in addition to that, living in a consumer society as we do, where it's taught that the consumer is king, his nauseatingly, um, also invaded the church, uh, where it's believed that the congregant is king. So true in our day. And, and as such, with, with the mind and the emotions of the congregant 
in view, when, when someone steps up to a place like this, then doctrine becomes alien. After all, if you want to keep them, if, if you want to keep them, then you have to please them. And then that's where doctrine becomes alien. And the result is twisted scripture. So they take texts out of context. They become a pretext to, to uh, minister to the, the to, to provide therapeutic um, soothing to the people who attend. And that reveals for us how over time um, liberalism um, has brought down mainline denominations one at a time. Who claimed to be creedal at one point in time. They, they held to a statement of firm biblical belief. Creed simply means belief. To believe. But nevertheless, these people who've given themselves over to this liberal way of thinking, uh, they claim to be a people of faith. Right? So what is faith? Look at Hebrews 1, uh, 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the new universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, there, now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, one, another one of the glaring problems of the contemporary church is that when people hear the word faith, they, they tend to speak, or when they speak of faith, they tend to speak in terms of having faith in faith. As though it's some kind of you know, mental or spiritual exercise. And the natural result, result of having faith in faith um, is to believe that heresy isn't possible. Right? You have faith in faith... Heresy is really not possible. Anything really goes. It's determined by you what goes and what doesn't. But if, if heresy isn't possible, then orthodoxy does not exist. And it, it best is irrelevant. So, uh, the very concept of truth requires then the potential for error. That's the warning that we read. In the epistles. No one is saved by faith and faith. Because biblical faith, as, as we read, it is defined in terms of content. That is, truths that are affirmed in the Holy Word of God. The Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. That is the book for me. Stand alone in the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. So, saving faith is a biblical faith in God's Christ, and that is the Christ of Scripture, not the Christ of your imagination. Christianity represents certain 
definite doctrines that are essential to that faith. These are doctrines, by the way, that have been denied throughout church history. These are doctrines that are under attack to this, this very day. Always has been and will continue to be until our Lord returns. Now, when we read Scripture, we see that lines are drawn. Amen? Lines are drawn, distinctions are made, not between what feels good and what doesn't. Lines are drawn, uh, not as a, a distinction between what is culturally acceptable and what is not, what is politically correct and what is not, what is emotionally correct. There's, there's a, a term coined by David Wells. We, we live in an age of emotional correctness. No kidding. The distinction is made between that which leads to life and that which leads to death. One theologian has stated, and I quote, In our day, these doctrines are not only denied, but the existence of doctrine itself is denied. That is, objective propositional truth. The fact that faith can be reduced to sentences and propositions with grammar and syntax is denied, end quote. Now, to deny the objective truth of Christianity is to deny the Christ of Christianity. So when, when someone speaks of believing in Jesus, uh, they will, by their own words, define what and who they believe about Jesus by the creedal affirmation that comes out of their mouth. Everyone has a creed. Everyone has a belief system. They will provide their personal creed about the person and work of Jesus Christ, and oftentimes their creedal belief, as you listen, is heretical because it isn't biblical. Have, have you met these people? Have you been straightened out in your own creed over, over the years by way of the Word of God? Amen? You know how many times you hear, you know, my Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't do this, or my Jesus would do that. You know, it's nonsense. See, they believe in a Christ of their own making. And in Jesus himself, who said, on that day, you will say to me, Lord, Lord, I will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, they had a Jesus. They have a Jesus. It's not the Jesus of Scripture. So in a faithless age, beloved, it's vital that God's people confess, that is, they, they, they stand on the faith together, united in the truth once and for all delivered to the saints. Now, there is uh, a weird kind of antagonism today, uh, animosity against doctrinal accountability. Some people will look at our covenant agreement, our membership covenant agreement there in the back, is bizarre, out of place, out of time. They'll look at a doctrinal statement as strange. This doctrine divides. That's right. It does. It also unites. And let alone um, historic creeds. 
or frowned upon. But their faith lacks content. Hebrews 11, this faith that we just read, it has content, amen? And the content finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. The cloud of witnesses in chapter 11, we read, picked up on chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clo- that, 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 which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, this verse alone shows us that, that, that Christianity is not an emotion. It is not an, you know, an esoteric mood or some you know, strange mystical feeling. This is a people called and established by God's word. The reality is in God's son, in, in his work and his worth. He's our substance. He's the substance of faith. He's the mystery revealed, amen? He defines doctrine. Scripture defines what we believe and what we reject. So without with which, it's impossible to exercise faith because faith is birthed by God and as a result is honored by God. What must I do to be saved? cried the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Acts 16. And by the way, that is a clear claim to Christ's deity. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Which tells us that certain doctrines are necessary for the faith, necessary for the church. Those saved by way of faith. So as a result, by way of God's providence, his his church has provided regularly and continually a summary of what we believe. This is what we stand on. This is what we affirm to others, and this is what we express among ourselves. That's why we encourage people uh, before they they seek membership is to, to look at our doctrinal statement. Are you in agreement? If you're not in agreement, the last thing you want to do is become a member, and the last thing we want is for you to become a member. Look at our doctrinal position. We, we, we define what we declare, what we understand God's gospel to be. Now, over the centuries, creeds, confessions, doctrinal statements have emerged uh, due to the necessity of uh, air among us in the midst of theological controversy throughout the ages. Uh, In the early 4th century, Arius um, of Alexandria began teaching what is now known as Arianism. Teaching that the Son of God did not always exist. That's a fundamental attack on Scripture which is a fundamental attack on the very nature of the Son of God. Athanasius, uh, who who would later become bishop 
of Alexandria opposed Arius, which led to the first council of Nicaea in the year 325, and that's a council that produced the Nicene Creed. Condemning Arius and his followers as heretics. The true church believes scripture, amen? Simple. We think it's simple. They believe scripture. That there never was a time when the son was not. He always has been, for he is. And then from out of the council of Nicaea came the Nicene Creed, part of which confesses, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Who for us, men, and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary. So we see that through, through creeds and through councils of the early church, the faith was defended, confirming Scripture, reiterating Scripture against what others were denying. That's why this is so important. So we stand and we teach what they taught, which is God's word declared through them, through the apostles. So councils, they produced creeds, in order to define what the Bible means by what it says. Now, early Christians, they, they spent most of their time and effort defending uh, the nature of God um, against her- heretics who denied Christ's deity. First of all, they denied his humanity. They denied the personhood of the Holy Spirit, you know, among, among other things. It's a direct attack, again, on the nature of God. It's a direct attack on the scriptures of God. So the Apostles' Creed was written uh, is an excellent summary of, of the biblical gospel. You know, many will ask in our day, you know, what does a centuries-old creed have to do with, with loving in the name of Jesus in the 21st century? After all, aren't we just supposed to love? Right? Isn't it all just about love? Well, it's important due to the fact that any heretic will put his stamp on the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses put their stamp on the Bible. Mormons put their stamp on the Bible. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The second person of the Godhead. So the original purpose of of these uh, ancient Christian creeds uh, was to affirm, indeed, uh, one's belief in the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One in essence, one in nature. And then to define, you know, the main doctrines um, of Christianity. They helped define the identity of the Christian faith, you know, in the midst of of a plethora of other beliefs. There's always been numerous beliefs. The first century, it was no different. So because there, there, there's this great need, there's, there's this summarized teaching of Scripture by way of God's providence, um, again, through those who represent Him on earth. 
And many Protestant churches still recite the Apostles' Creed to this day. Most Orthodox Protestants consider the Apostles' Creed as the best summary of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, the word creed comes from credo, uh, which is the first word of the Apostles' Creed in Latin, which simply means, I believe. I believe. So the creed, or a creed, any creed, signifies a brief summary statement of which we believe as Christians, that, that which we believe as a, as a church, the universal church or the one Catholic church, meaning universal worldwide church. It's been said about this creed, this creed sets forth their doctrine, believer's doctrine, in sublime simplicity, in unsurpassable brevity, in beautiful order, and with liturgical solemnity. That's beautiful, isn't it? It tells us that our Heavenly Father, of His own initiative, sent His Son to live, to die, and to be resurrected for His people. We see that unfolding in Exodus today. Pointing forward. The blood of the Lamb points forward. Unleavened bread points forward to the substance, to the fulfillment of what God, our loving Father, is unfolding. And what has unfolded throughout redemptive history, finding its fulfillment, type leads to anti-type. It's fulfilled. This is about God's work on our behalf. Not to earn a right standing before Him, amen? To believe rightly what the creed teaches about His gospel, because it's His gospel. So the Apostles' Creed, here it's dated no later than the 4th century. And more than any other Christian creed, it has been referred to as a unifying symbol of the faith. It's also been used as an educational tool. This was used to train new believers to the central doctrines of Christianity, affirming a personal declaration of their faith at the time of their baptism. Which infants can't do, by the way. Just as a side note. It it sets forth the doctrine of the Trinity. It it sets forth the basic economy of redemption. Father's creator... Creator of all things. So we're going to look at the Father. We're going to look at it as as, uh, the Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Jesus, the only Savior, His Son, our Lord. The Holy Spirit, He's the one who gives us faith. And He's the one who unites us to Christ. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, In the early ages of the church, it's important to bear in mind that, that converts were almost entirely dependent upon oral instruction. This is how they learned. Copies of the Old and New Testaments were were few, and they existed in manuscript. It's not like today where we have our Bibles. So they, they learned by reciting. This is how they taught. They heard. They listened. One prayer book with regard to the... 
Prayerbrook Catechism with regard to the Apostles' Creed, asks the question, what are the most important points you learn from this creed? Answer, I learn to believe first in God the Father, who has made me and all the world. And second, in God the Son, who's redeemed me and all mankind. And thirdly, in God the Holy Spirit, who sanctifies me and all the elect people of God. So the Apostles' Creed provides a particular structure for teaching, and that's how it's been used over the years. So as to hear the truth, to learn the truth, to recall the truth. J.I. Packer wrote a little book on the Apostles' Creed. And in it, he says this, quote, In the Bible, the great divide is between those who believe in the Christian God and those who serve idols, God's small g. That is, whose images, whether metal or mental, do not square with the self-disclosure of the Creator. One wishes that some who recite, I believe in God, in church on Sunday, would see that what they actually mean is, I do not believe in God, not this God anyhow. End quote. Man, amen. You know, how many people in heavily liturgical gatherings especially merely recite and not actually confess the Apostles' Creed? Any creed or belief for that matter. There are certain theological institutions, there are certain denominations who at one time were established upon a confession of faith who, who have grossly strayed and now even deny those basic truths. Seminaries, at one time, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, were established upon a confession of faith. And today it's denied. Now, the creed is not scripture, Amen. It is not the authoritative word of God. It is, my friends, a summary of the scripture. And very useful to us. And its usefulness should not be denied. It should not be devalued. We've been confessing it, well, ever since we got our hymnals back, what was it, 2008? (laughs) You know, we, we do it once a month. And it provides the body with a unity in the faith. So we're going to go through it line by line in the coming weeks so as to organize a a systematic theology that that ties together in summary um, our Christian faith. So, quickly, in the next 10 minutes, the creed contains 12 articles which belong to the words, I believe. One article relates to God the Father, six to God the Son, one to God the Holy Spirit, four to the church, his bride, and and the privileges secured uh, to its members. It describes the existence and and relationship of the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a few distinct and easily uh, remembered words. Our triune God. It's upon him 
that doctrine and duty rest. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We read about creation. He is the creator. The incarnation, the eternal Son. The eternal Son became man. The eternal Son condescended to become man by way of the virgin birth. You you have to believe in the virgin birth if you're a true believer. You must. We read of his suffering. We read of his death. We confess his resurrection. We confess he was crucified, describing the reality of his death, that he really died and he descended into Hades. I know some Christians say, well, I I just don't, I just won't confess that part of it because they don't understand what descend into Hades means by what it says because of some poor teaching over the centuries, teaching that he went to hell. But Hades, known as the place of the dead, is not Gehenna, the place of eternal torment. Descended into Hades simply means Jesus really died. The holy, divine Son of Almighty God truly died and experienced, just like we will, soul and body separation. He went to the place of the dead. He died. Because then the Gnostics, you know, special, you know, special knowledge, unique knowledge, taught that a spirit called the Christ indwelt Jesus from the time of his baptism until the time of his condemnation when he departed, leaving Jesus to suffer. And they also taught that Jesus did not truly die. That he did not die. So this part of the creed, he descended into Hades, is driving home the reality that Jesus actually, literally died. He was dead. So don't not say he descended into Hades when we get to he descended into Hades. <laughs> he was buried. That line gives emphasis in confirmation of the reality and totality of his death. Well, but it's not in order. That's okay. That's not the point. <laughs> he descended into Hades. Again, the fact that he really died. It's the place of the dead. Jesus suffered. In other words, the full weight of God's wrath upon the cross and truly, genuinely Died. His death was not simulated. No swoon theory here. He died. We, we, we confess his bodily resurrection. We confess his ascent into heaven, where Jesus now rules and reigns until he returns. He rules and reigns until the end of the age when he will come to judge and raise the dead. We confess the church. Church, of course, is birthed by the Holy Spirit. We are one in Christ. It is the holy Catholic church, the holy Christian church. Catholic simply means, because, and again, Christians will get to that part and say, well, I'm not going to say that part. I'm not a Catholic. 
I'm a Protestant. I was born a Protestant. (laughs) Catholic means a comprehensive or all-inclusive worldwide church in extent and in quality. The one true people of God. We confess the forgiveness of sins. This is the Christian hope, amen? Forgiven? Now, the creed is not meant to to, to cover the entirety of the Christian faith, but is, again, meant to fortify believers in the teachings that are foundational to the truth that we confess up and against those that are heretics of that day and our day. So it wasn't intended to state uh, all things that are Christian, um, all things that ought to be believed. Uh, there's no reference in it, for, uh, for instance, with regard to the inspiration of Scripture, to prayer, to baptism, or to the Lord's Supper. The Apostles' Creed sets out the very things that differentiate. And here's the key the very things that differentiate Christians from all other world religions, including monotheistic religions like Judaism and it's the most popular religion of our day, making headline news every day, Islam. Those are monotheistic religions that are heretical. So this creed provides for us an excellent summary of the very doctrines that are unique to Christianity. Monotheism. One God manifest in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one in essence, one in nature. So biblically sound believers consider the the Apostles' Creed to be the best summary, again, of the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, number of weeks. It tells us that our Father, in His own initiative, sent His beloved Son to live, to die, to be resurrected for His people. This is what we confess. It declares God's work on our behalf, not what we do to earn a right standing before God, but what has been accomplished by God on our behalf according to His sovereign Grace and mercy. So to believe rightly what the creed teaches is to believe the gospel. Amen? That's it. It's that simple. That's the introduction. Those are some opening thoughts, some things to consider. Um, is we, we live in a day where, where doctrine is frowned upon, even by many who claim to be Christian. And that's why we do it once a month. We'll probably eventually start um, confessing the Nicene Creed as well. Periodically. So, but before we do things, I always like to, to, to teach because we have people that come from all different backgrounds. They come from Reformed backgrounds. They come from modern evangelical backgrounds. They come from loosey-goosey Arminianism. So as, as we come and we teach things, whether it's the doctrines of grace, uh, instead of just slapping things up on the wall, we, we want to teach them. So we, we taught the five solas. We taught TULIP. We've taught about the importance of membership, why we believe it is biblical. And we want to do the same um, with the creeds. So that's it for today. Amen.